Era podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research. Hello everyone, I'm Dr Barbara Skinner and I'm a senior lecturer in the School of Education at Ulster University in Northern Ireland. In this podcast, we discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted primary and post-primary pupils with English as an additional language and their families. English as an additional language is commonly called EAL and is used to describe pupils who may use one or more languages other than English in their everyday lives. From an EAL perspective, learning English should be viewed as adding to students' capacities as bilingual or multilingual learners, rather than displacing the languages that pupils might have acquired earlier. Our discussion centres on the particular challenges that pupils have faced during the homeschooling period and the challenges they will face as they return to the classroom, including homeschool communication, their language development and access to support. I'm joined today by two researchers. My name is Maria Stewart and I'm a PhD researcher at Ulster University. My project investigates how homeschool partnership engages the cultural and linguistic capital of learners with EAL in primary schools in Northern Ireland. My name is Ronan Kelly and I'm also a PhD researcher at Ulster University and my project explores how language learning, identity and social cohesion are linked for learners with EAL in secondary schools in Northern Ireland. Okay, in terms of the impact of COVID-19 on EAL pupils, we understand from research in various universities, including Ulster University and Stranmillis Teaching College in Northern Ireland, that pupils are experiencing huge differentials in homeschooling. But there are particular challenges for learners with EAL. Maria, what do you think they are? Well, I think home learning has been a challenge for everyone at this time but homeschool communication for families with EAL has been particularly difficult. There was not fast advance notice of school closures. Therefore, schools had little time to translate all the additional documentation that needed to go home. It also would have been highly costly to do this. And many of the tech tools that schools have been using to facilitate home learning are only available in English. So families with EAL have had to discover their own means of translating communications from school, and that is if they have access to the tech facilities to begin with. Yes, Maria, I, I suppose it, it's been much more difficult for pupils and parents to access information sent home from school and to know what is expected of them and what to do. For pupils and, and, and parents from EAL families, you know, this has been really difficult. Ronan, what do you think are the particular challenges for EAL pupils? Well, we know that language learning often occurs best through interactions with others. So learners with EAL need opportunities to interact with their peers and their teachers to continue to develop their English proficiency and to engage with the curriculum. And while they may have been interacting socially using English during school closures, whether online or on social media, they will have had few opportunities to develop the specific English that they need for academic study as part of the curriculum. Yeah, I mean, I think staying at home during COVID has highlighted how important peers are in picking up that academic English, which um, EAL pupils need. You know, they've really missed sitting next to 
a native speaking peer or other non-native speaking peers who could help them develop that English. EAL pupils have also missed out on access to support in school. For example, um, the withdrawal lessons. Some schools actually plan for small groups of pupils to come out of uh, lessons to have English language support. They've also missed out on the one-to-one support that teaching assistants can give. And families too have missed out during this time, especially regarding the pastoral support offered that, that they might get with helping translating letters they've received. Or sometimes schools may have offered extra English classes to parents. So there's been a lot of missing out on English language development that that was there for them before COVID-19 hit. Let's turn now to look at one particular area in more detail. In terms of COVID-19 and difficulties regarding homeschool communication, how do you think this could be improved moving forward in the new academic year, Maria? Yes, well, I think there's definitely room for improvement. Where schools traditionally may have had an established bank of translated documents, for example, notes about school trips and parent-teacher meetings, in the current crisis, there hasn't been the time or the resources to translate all that documentation. However, now that we're in the school holidays, there is the time to prepare written communications. Google Translate is often a go-to tool. and Many schools use it on their websites, for example, but it can be highly inaccurate. There are many more reliable translation apps available and where possible, schools ought to use those and also inform parents of them. And in some instances, maybe even subscribe parents to them if there's a cost associated. We also need to consider those parents who are unable to read in their home language as well. You know, simply translating documents would not be appropriate. Oral translation apps could be utilised instead, like Say Hi. And I think schools would also do well to remember all the elements of good practice that they use ordinarily, such as simplifying the language and adding key visuals. Ultimately, though, schools could greatly reduce the requirement for translation by limiting written communications to that which is absolutely essential. Ronan, I was wondering if you would like to interject there with um, any ideas you might have specifically with regard to post-primary pupils and homeschool communication. And it's exactly like you said, Maria, all of those things are relevant in post-primary and another layer within post-primary, maybe the fact that pupils are often acting as language brokers between their parents and communication coming from the school. So this can potentially place a lot of added responsibility and stress on those pupils in an already stressful time during COVID. And as well as that, the parents may not receive the full information based on what the pupil is brokering and translating across. So schools in that case can't assume that the full message is reaching their parents. Yes, absolutely. And I think another thing schools could possibly think about is varying the methods of communication that they use. Um, Early findings from my own PhD project have identified the face-to-face interaction is parents' preferred method of communication, whatever their level of English language proficiency. Oral language can be supplemented with facial expression, body language and visual aids if necessary. At the moment, homeschool communication is predominantly digital, but there are still many ways that we could give it a personal touch. Um, Teachers could send text messages, make audio or video recordings, or even give parents a phone call. Another idea could be to establish a contact chain where a parent, leader or mentor is assigned for each language group. 
and they could then disseminate information to other parents. At the moment, there's also a wide variety of packages and apps being used by schools. Um, Seesaw, Google Classroom, Microsoft Teams, to name a few. And it's assumed that parents are proficient in their use. I think there's a need for more consistency and some more school-wide approaches. You know, if a child in a primary two class, if their teacher is predominantly using Seesaw, then if that parent has a child in another year level in the same school, then they should be using the exact same app with which to communicate with home. Definitely, I think a personal approach would be very useful. Schools should find out if parents are actually able to use these digital facilities, and if not, supplement with phone calls or text messages. Early COVID research has also indicated that there is a digital divide between pupils from low socioeconomic backgrounds and others, and certainly this will include some learners with the AL. In an interview I conducted recently with an NGO rep, she referred to a family with five school-aged children that were sharing a single smartphone. You know, families also have variable access to Wi-Fi and printers, so schools need to identify families that are struggling and re redistribute their school resources or engage with external agencies to improve provision. Okay, so what you're saying, Maria and Ronan, is that there's an opportunity now for schools to really rethink how they communicate with EAL families. For example, you know, just getting a reliable translation app is important. Bringing in that real personal touch um, by maybe phoning parents, um, especially if a lot of schooling is still being done through, through digital means. And that idea of maybe using a contact chain to communicate with uh, different parent language groups. It's also, I suppose, important, as you mentioned, Maria, for schools to find out the range of languages being spoken in pupils' homes so they can build up a bank of interpreters that they, they need and maybe pull those interpreters in from community groups or the wider, the wider family group, indeed. Now, COVID-19 will also have an impact on the educational attainment of all pupils, and this is a huge concern. But what makes it different for EAL pupils. Ronan, what do you think? Well, in terms of EAL pupils, research by Halliday highlights that pupils with EAL have a triple task in learning. First, they're learning a new language. They're then learning through a new language. And third, they're learning about this new language. And we also know that from established research and language learning, especially Vygotsky's prominent sociocultural theory, that language learning is often most successful through interactions with others. So for pupils with EAL, this means that they're going to have less interactions with their peers now. And as part of pupil focus groups during my own PhD research, pupils themselves place great emphasis on the need to make friends as key to learning English and feeling a sense of belonging at school. And while some secondary schools may continue to interact online in English with friends. These interactions are likely to be socially based and provide little opportunity to develop the curriculum language that they need to support their academic attainment. And another consideration in this area is how recently the pupils arrived at the school and those that are relatively new to the school might not have established friend groups and may feel even more isolated. And as Maria mentioned, there is a variety of apps and software currently in use by schools to address, and to address this problem, 
Schools could use a video conferencing style software, whether it's Teams or Google Classroom, to set up small group study sessions for pupils, for both those with EAL and non-EAL pupils. And within those, we could have specific learning tasks that encourage the pupils to use and develop the curriculum language and through peer interaction. And Maria, in terms of primary school, is there anything that you would add to that? Again, Ronan, everything that you mentioned is also highly relevant in the primary sector. But I think another um, aspect to consider with regards to primary school pupils is that as they're younger, um, they generally would not have access to social media. So that means then that they have even less opportunities to develop their English language skills. How they do that will be highly dependent upon the language repertoires of the people that they live with, i.e. if their parents at home can speak English also, then they will continue to develop English language skills. If not, then they won't. Yes, and it's like you said, Maria, if the learners themselves, if their parents don't have a language repertoire in English to support their child's learning, then the learners themselves may feel even further isolated. And in that situation, it also relates to one of my PhD findings where pupils in those situations they often have to find ad hoc solutions such as using translators and overly relying on translators to complete homework activities. And this can often be a frustrating experience for students with varying degrees of success. And homework itself is a revision task where they've already had some form of input through school lessons. But now they may not have had this initial input and the students are required to engage with new curriculum material in this way with ad hoc solutions. So again, going back to creating small study groups among learners where they can meet online in a safe environment created by the teacher, and they can maintain communication through posting and sharing on chat or message board functions. And this will serve to build a peer learning community where teachers can monitor and guide pupils learning as well. Yes, and in addition to this, because of COVID-19, you know, pupils have missed out on the in-school English support they, they normally have. Many primary and post-primary schools use small group withdrawal lessons to focus on uh, improving pupils' academic grammar, their vocabulary, uh, and to give them those real skills of curriculum English that they need to access the curriculum. Other schools employ bilingual teaching assistants who work closely with pupils with EAL to support their academic language development. And of course, they're missing out on, on that too. EAL coordinators in schools play an important part in EAL pupils' lives and also in the lives of their parents and are often the ones who may set up um, extra English language classes um, which are based in the school for parents. Um, so both pupils and parents um, could definitely be feeling as if their English language skills are, are decreasing um, uh, rather than um, improving during this time. So, yeah, we're now in a position where we're considering a potentially blended learning environment um, when, we, when we go back to schools in the autumn, uh, and that might be one week in school, followed by one week of home study, or it might be uh, staggered start times for school classes. But it's definitely going to be a, a different way of operating. Um, in this environment, 
how might a flexible approach be used to support learners with EAL? What do you think should be the key priority areas um, returning to school in order to address those challenges that we've talked about? What do you think, Maria? I think that in terms of a blended approach to begin with, we need to create greater opportunities for interaction between pupils and their teachers. Even if it is only through an informally weekly phone call to support pupils emotionally and to promote their English language development, you know, as teachers are effective English language role models. In relation to introducing work and giving feedback to pupils, both synchronous and asynchronous methods could be used via live sessions on Google Meet or Microsoft Teams, or again through video and audio recordings. Also, if we're thinking about flexibility for primary school pupils, the most appropriate support we could offer is in curricular flexibility. If we could link learning to real life activities that take place in pupils' home, then this would definitely better facilitate a blended approach. For example, cooking could be linked with many aspects of numeracy, such as weight, time, estimation, and also procedural writing. Likewise, project tasks such as constructing an e-book or writing a family history would allow for home language usage in an authentic way. And tasks such as this will hopefully as well reduce the requirement for translation and ease some of the burden on parents. Other than that, we also need to remember all the strategies that work well for learners with EAL in our classrooms. So we need to differentiate home learning tasks as we would in school. Provide scaffolding and pre-learning tasks, use bilingual texts, graphic organisers and create opportunities for academic language development. In terms of key priority areas on return to school, I think pupil wellbeing definitely has to come at the top of that list. We need to acknowledge that pupils were not in school for over a quarter of the previous academic year and meet them where they are. And There's been much made in the media about pupils needing to catch up. I don't think that that narrative is particularly helpful especially for pupils who have already experienced disrupted education, for example, um, asylum seekers and refugees. So from my own perspective, I think we should allow time for pupils to reconnect with peers and also provide time for teachers to support those who have experienced adverse circumstances due to COVID. Essentially, schools need to provide a safe space for pupils to heal and recover. And we need to remember that they're returning to school not at the end of a pandemic, but in the midst of one. And I would agree with everything Maria has said, that it would completely and fully apply to secondary learners as well. And one point that I would add on for secondary, there'll be much more synchronous and asynchronous communication, whether it's online, whether it's through Google Meet, Google Classroom, Microsoft Teams, and so on. And in terms of secondary, the pupils themselves will be in contact with their teachers. But if we have staggered start times or week in, week out, the teachers themselves are likely to have more classroom teaching time. And that's a possibility. In this situation, it's more important than for teachers to create safe online spaces with chat, video and message board functions so that pupils, when they're not in school or when they're studying independently, they have that peer learning and that peer support network that will be even more important. And in this case, it's the idea of building in collaborative tasks that students can do on these online situations and these online environments. And that will further increase their sense of engagement and their sense of belonging, even when they're studying at home as they're more connected to their peers in an online environment. So um, COVID-19 has presented an opportunity to reset our education system. 
what do you think are the key messages for how we can reimagine provision for EAL pupils and their families? Um, Ronan, what do you think? Well, I believe schools do already, but we need to further recognise that social integration and interactions are key in language development. And we need to continue to create more opportunities, as I mentioned, build these supportive peer groups with all pupils and not just those pupils with a shared language background or not just between pupils who are learners of EAL. And we know that teachers do this during their normal lessons. And we've talked about how it can be expanded through online study groups and small peer support networks. And students can build their peer learning and they can build their sense of engagement and language development during this period of school disruption. Once schools return in a more normal fashion, then a key example of this could be homework clubs. And we can build from there. So in fact, a finding in my PhD research has found that pupils often mentioned that they broke the ice and that they were able to build relationships with other pupils in their class by initially asking questions about homework. So this can be an area where it creates a situation for students to collaborate and build those relationships. So at homework clubs, for example, whether at lunchtime or after school, pupils can feel a greater sense of belonging. They can build relationships with all pupils at the club. They can avoid a potential stigma that some of them may associate of being withdrawn for EAL support, and they're able to develop the language they need to successfully engage with the curriculum. And Maria, what do you think about how, you know, the key messages for how we might reimagine EAL provision? Well, yes, just to reinforce what Ronan has just said, um, again, homework clubs have been mentioned in my own PhD research also as being a highly effective method um, for social integration and also for promoting homeschool partnership. And I think that that should definitely be a key change um, in the future how we envisage homeschool partnership. And um, we need to treat parents as expert partners in their children's academic development. You know, instead of just presuming that we as teachers know best. And for parents who may be reluctant to engage with the school due to previous educational experiences or barriers such as language or working patterns, then the onus is on the school themselves to go to the parents. We need to recognise that the school door swings both ways. Um, key staff ought to go into the community, attend events, visit pupils' homes, and engage in meaningful two-way conversations to find out how families already support learners, which indeed they do, and also if, where and how they would like support in the future. So Maria and Ronan, thanks very much. We hope that the podcast has given you some food for thought about how we can move forward to support pupils with EAL in their return to school in the autumn. Thanks for listening to the Beera podcast. For the latest news on Beera events and activities, visit www.beera.ac.uk.